Where do you want to start? This is fascinating stuff. You know, Kirby says, well, you know, you look at how do you make sense of that? They have all the stuff to, like, you know, how do you talk about, how do you talk about, but I'm thinking, well, you know, if somebody can write that well, they get a lot of tags. So, but anything, you got something, anything you like here? Going? Where are you? Is it, is it 90, 104? A relative or two who's left the church. Really? Yeah, well, I mean, it's how it difficult, it is difficult sometimes to, <coughs> to be a witness to them because they know what an idiot you are, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Where are you? Um, what? Page yeah, that's right. That, okay. And that why should they trust us when, I mean, we're no different than, I, I don't know. Why should the world, I guess our family sees us most clearly for all our good and all our ill. All right, good. That's the gospel for last week, right? Jesus, no honor for profit in his own country. Okay. So then, um, if you do any Jesus things, no honor for you. Now, what's the, th what's the, th how could you get, a, how could you get past that? Well, there was something later I thought was just lovely too, but which, which was the getting past it. Yeah. Um, well, let's just, let's just start on, well, let's start on this. Many times we hear, this is one of five, well, that's just him again. Yeah. Uh, or that's her again. There's always, I know there's, I, this is, just doesn't happen to pastors, you know. This is, I'm sure that you, okay, raise your hand if you're the holy roller in the family. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. Okay, it just happens, you know, right? That people roll your eyes at, at every, every feast day you have to come to the dinner table and be identified as the, well, we'll pray because you're here today. Yeah, right? Your Aunt Jen is here, so we we'll, guess we should pray, you know, see, so... Yeah, that's just him again. We, we, we know what that's all about. It'll, it'll pass. You know, people just, he's just in a phase. Well, just hope we can get over that. Now, why should they take us seriously? We're not trustworthy. We're not that different from the rest of our families and friends. And you've heard that. You've probably said to somebody, well, the little J baby Jesus could fix that up for you. And then people's response is, well, he certainly didn't do a very good job with you. Right? Or you didn't get fixed up. Or, you know, I remember when you said, or, gee whiz, <laughs> or uh, don't you remember your childhood? I think it's always, uh, you know, there are people in your family who are very, very, very willing to remind you what you did when you were 15, right? I mean, just for good or for, for good or for ill, right? And they're, they're willing to do that because they want to undercut whatever you've become at 25 or 35 or 45, right? Very, this is very sad and horribly unforgiving. And 
is you can hear this in the right way, horribly antichrist is too much, I'm too much. I feel, oh, because I'm standing right under myself. Yeah. Kirby, does this feel like I'm yelling at you? Is this a lot like at home? <laughs> we should get these and put them all over the house. <laughs> and then we could put like mistletoe, and then you would stand under them, and then I would, instead of kissing you, I'd just talk. Kirby, <laughs> Kirby. This would be great, this would be great. Of course, there's a couple of logistical problems there. Well, but we could probably work that through. Anyway, um, the most antichrist thing about that is forgiveness means getting a clean slate, right? And when everybody says, well, don't you remember when you were 15 and you were, when you were 17, or don't you remember what you did in college? The answer is you probably do remember it, and you probably wish you didn't. And see, the difference is that people think you cling to that, or you really liked it, or you haven't really renounced it, or it was never really confessed. Part of, part of going to the altar every Sunday is that nobody can ever bring that up again. Part of going to the altar is having a clean slate, if we really believe that. If we really believe in forgiveness, part of what we believe is today really is a fresh start, if we really believe that if we're really willing to do that for others. See, the problem with this is um, that it appeals to the person. It says, we're going to pray because you're here today. This is, we're not praying because you're here today. Why are we praying? Why do you say grace? Why do you say that? Because the Lord provided food again. It's about the Lord. You see, this is, a, this is an appeal to the person, right? Darlene, if you weren't such a, we wouldn't have to, you know. No, no, it's not about you, right? It's not about any of you. It's not about me. So when people say, well, it's just him again, partly your response is, yeah, it's me. With all that's bundled up inside me and all I've ever done, it's me, which in no way invalidates Christ. Somehow people think because they can invalidate you, they invalidate Christ. That's, nothing could be further from the truth. It isn't that I invalidate Christ. It's that Christ validates me. It's the other way around. If you start your sentences about me, It'll always be wrong, and if you start about Christ, it'll always be right. So many times you hear, that's just him again, that's just her again. We know what this is about. We've seen the excitement before. It'll pass. There is a lot of truth in this. This is sort of pure law. Why should they trust us when we come home, running home all excited? Why should they take us seriously? We are not that trustworthy. We are not that different from the rest of our family and friends. The world is full of stories, rumors, preachers, evangelists. There's good reason for skepticism, you know. I always find it fascinating when, when people, I find it fascinating when people find it fascinating that television preachers fall from grace. I always find that fascinating that people find it fascinating. I always want to say, what did you expect? Especially when you put people in that sort of a position, what did you expect, you know? They're just normal people, right? Gradually, this is the next page, gradually the story of Jesus became just a story. Church became an obligation, the Eucharist a ritual. Somewhere it all became a sweet or bitter memory. Somewhere something died in them. And why should anyone who knows us well suddenly believe us when we return from the Eucharist? The reason why is it is not just the Eucharist, but it is the Eucharistic life that makes all the difference. If there could be a criticism of Lutherans among them, well, there could be several criticisms of Lutherans. 
among them could be, well, we did that, we got that over with, now we can get on with the rest of our week, right? As if somehow what happens upstairs is completely detached from everything else that happens. No. It's not just the Eucharist, it's the Eucharistic life. Each day, yes, each moment of the day, there is the pain of our losses and the opportunity to listen to a word that asks each of us to choose to live these losses as a way to glory. Each day, the possibility to invite the stranger into our home and let him break bread for us. There you go. This is a very sad thing. This the whole thing, you know, when you see someone to whom it all became a sweet awakening. Right. Mm-hmm. That to me is like so sad. <clears throat> but I, you know, I've known you a fairly long time now. I've known you almost 10 years. Um, you would agree, I think, we could look at your life or we could look at my life, but I think you would agree that the Christian life is fairly difficult. I think you just agree. We just sort of what we, I can just kind of think of, yeah, horrible, horrible is not a bad description. I'm, I just, just, just being honest, yeah. It's, but then, yeah, good, you should say why it's horrible. It's lonely. It automatically puts you at odds with people, even family, even friends, right? It's, yeah, it takes you places you don't want to go. It stretches you in ways you don't want to be stretched limits the possibilities of your world. What else? I mean, can you think of other things? I, I might give you some other ones. It encourages, encourages you to long for things which you won't necessarily see or don't necessarily see. And so it demands the discipline of doing things for which there's no immediate payoff, right? Maybe in your lifetime. Go ahead. Right. Yes. And if that weren't hard enough, then you have people on the outside saying, are you crazy? <laughs> right? Because you keep saying you're going here. You know, you're here, and you keep saying you're going here. You know what? We don't really see any progress. You know? And, you know, this is like if you're hitting your thumb with a hammer and it hurts, at some point, you know, the reasonable thing might be to stop. And then things become a sweet or a bitter memory. See? So it is, this is a very sad thing. Were that the end of the story, period, right? So were that the end of the story. Now, well, go ahead. Yes, you are, but, uh, but carry on. <laughs> What'd you say? She, she let us, let, I said we let our children Darlene, that's going to be the answer. But hold it for just a second. I, I, I know I'm here. Yes. There was a time in my life where I really felt, I didn't 
I don't want to be flippant, oh, yeah, but it just seems to me you're having a particularly good day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with you, and I think that that can be an honest description of... of I think it's the, it, it's, it's the way I'm wired. It may be, but if we, I think, I picked on you to start, but I yeah, think well, that you could say exactly the same thing yeah, well, on some joy. days. especially if you're out there. I mean, if I never associated with anyone except who believed as I do or, or you know, held Christ in high regard, it would, it, I, I wouldn't have to face that sort of sadness too often. And, and part of it is, why do I have to feel so upset about it when someone tramples Christ? But you know what? I don't know why. Maybe it's the way I'm built. Boy, oh boy. I just, that is so, that is like the worst, the worst thing. And in, in this, um, the memory becoming sweet or bitter, I was thinking about a conversation that we had. John and I visited with um, some Jewish friends in New York last week. He was raised Orthodox. And Orthodox Jew, or Orthodox Jew yeah. with the curls and the black, and yeah, right. the women shave their heads and all that. Right. And uh, they've been trying to have a baby for twelve years, and which that's beside the point. But her, you know, of course, we always end up talking about the scriptures because he knows the Old Testament really well. And her explanation of the whole Adam and Eve thing was and they're getting kicked out of the garden. You know, isn't that sort of a sweet metaphoric way to say that they kind of like went through adolescence and grew up? So it's kind of like in the story of evolution how, you know, we've, we've become human beings and you know, there's this transition through adolescence and it's always rocky and at the other end you're an adult. And isn't adult life just kind of like that, being out of the garden, quote unquote? And she kind of like rationalized all of these true stories into plausible atheistic explanations of things but to me I just felt like you know knowing that she came from um, conservative Jewish family and he orthodox you know he seemed very sad that she would have that take on things me I'm sad because I, I've got this guy here who knows the, the law and the prophets like the back of his hand, but he doesn't see Christ. And plus, I'm sad for him because of what his wife believes, and I'm sad for her that she she has such pain and sorrow in her life about can she have kids or not, and she's 45 now, and she's given up. And, and, and there, where I would go for solace for any sort of pain in life is 
laying right in front of her, but she thinks it's a fairy tale. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all of these, it's like layers of just like sadness for these, for these people. And then I come home and think, I should have laid my hands on her belly and prayed that the Lord would open up her womb, you know. And then now I'm saying to myself, you know, was I, were we, were we proper witnesses for Christ? I mean, you just can't throw Christ out on the table with people like that. But, you know, we did. But it's it's part of the philosophical conversation of educated people. It wasn't sort of proselytizing. Right. So, so in in that sense, I mean, does Joe Blow, worldly person, ever ever feel? I mean, there's there's things to be sad about and to mourn and in the world and everything. But to me, it seems like a separate flavor that people who who aren't involving their soul in their life aren't going to ha- aren't going to have to go through. What about it's funny that other people bear hysteria. They they focus on somebody whose whole life is about the bear. It's like this entire equated bear syndrome. I mean, it was like and I thought he looks pretty happy. <laughs> but I mean, it, but it was a weird like his whole life was the bears. And I was thinking, you're right. Does he have any deep thoughts or sad? Er- I don't. I also. I just. This might just might be my perspective, but I don't think we all inside are that calm either. Just to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, I just my. Mm-hmm. S- I, you know, just think about the people you've talked to in the church in the last two weeks. I don't find people particularly sanguine about their entire lives. I, you know, they're 
troubled about their children and about grades and about the capital campaign and about, you know, their husbands travel too much and where's my wife and, you know, they're, they're troubled about their in-laws, they're troubled about people who are sick and they're just troubled about, I find, you know, I think there is a disruption and I'm, I'm the other side of the coin. I occasionally like to be with my pagan friends. I find it to be a great relief. To be from the other side, I only confess my own sins. You know, that is, this is just like, you know, at least they have a reason to be discombobulated. You know? <laughs> then I look around at all of us and I'm like, how are you people so crazy if Jesus is really who he says he is? So I guess I'm on the other side of this saying, look, and you're probably looking at me and saying the same thing, right? So, now. Good, okay, so then, then I think Darlene, see, Darlene is like the smart kid in the class who gave the answer early. So, so when she, what did she say? well, she said she let Carol sit at her table, which you'll recognize is exactly what's on 107. Um, or was it 107? I, I sort of lost my, oh, one, how about 109? Oh, the paragraph on 109, all of this points to community, you see? The two friends who were able to speak to each other about their burning hearts were beginning to enter a new relationship with one another. They knew each other. They might have even been uncle and son. They might have been. You know, the tradition is it's Cleopas and his son, Jesus' cousin and Jesus' uncle. And he becomes a bishop early in the church, second round of bishops, I think. A relationship built on the communion they both experienced. So Jesus comes to them and he gives something to Cleopas and he gives something to the other one. And then because each of them have had some Jesus, they now have each other. See, why does Darlene have Carol and Carol has Darlene? Because Jesus got, got busy with both of them. Their communion with Jesus was indeed the beginning of community. But it was only the beginning. I just actually just want to stop there. So here's my, here's my suggestion to you. I just, I see you, and you probably see me. I see you all at least as discombobulated as the world outside. And sometimes more so because you hold yourselves to a higher standard. Expect more, right? Expect more of yourself. Expect more of other people, right? I mean, I have extraordinarily high expectations for you. And if I was ever going to be a stop, if I was ever going to stop coming to church, I wouldn't stop coming because of Jesus. I'd stop coming because of you, just to be honest with you. And if you were ever going to stop coming to church, my guess is you wouldn't stop coming to church because of Jesus. You'd stop coming to church because of me, because I'm such a horrible disappointment to you. Okay, now, here's the thing. How do you move through that? Now, Carol, and I take your point, and I don't discount it, but you only sort of bandage people who need to be bandaged. So I'm just at the bandage point, and later, you know, we'll come to that. But I think part of it is, is, you can actually talk to each other. And you can say, if you can say, hey, Jana, I actually really need you. Or you can say, this is what really troubles me. You know? And then you can have a perspective on life which you can't have with your next door neighbor. Right? So you can say to Jeezy or Kirby, here's what troubles me about my son or daughter. Pick somebody, husband. And they can say, they cannot say, oh, Williamson Lakes. I thought they were churchgoers. Instead, they can say, yeah, the world is a pretty tough place, 
and being a Christian doesn't automatically vaccinate you against it. However, it does give you a very different perspective about how to engage your own future and how to engage each other, mm -hmm. right? See, I mean, the automatic thing in the world is to think ill of other people when they confess to you. What's the automatic thing in the church? What should be the automatic thing in the church? It, it should be to see yourself in the same situation. It should be to see, it should be compassion for where they are. It should be forgiveness. And it should be a clean slate in going forward. You get none of that in the world. If you read Matthew 18, it's the craziest thing when it talks about how, how, what you should do when somebody sins. If you think somebody actually sinned against you, Jesus says, you go to the person. The victim goes to the oppressor. You go by yourself and you go to be reconciled. That's completely upside down from what the world does, right? The world, you avoid the person, you talk about behind, behind their back and try to destroy them, and having destroyed them, you never have to think about them again, right? Okay? So see, here's the thing. We do have, we're not immune to the troubles of the world. We struggle with the troubles of the world. However, and if we're left alone, if we're isolated, we will always struggle, you know? If we're left alone, we will struggle. But once you can be in community, and in community means understanding people's struggle, having compassion for that struggle, supporting people in that struggle, drawing them for forgiveness, and once they've been forgiven, having a clean slate, which are all extraordinarily difficult things to do, it is the opposite of saying, well, that's just him, or they're always like that. Or do you remember what he did when he was 17? Or we knew their parents, right? then you have a different world in which you live and there is hope. And it's much easier, I would suggest to you, it's much easier to live with an eschatological perspective. That is, you live from eternity backwards. That's all eschatology means. It means instead of starting now and looking forward, you start at the finish and live backwards because you know the Lord will sort it out and you know he's for you and you know he's good and you know every last thing will be drawn towards the new Eden. Therefore, if you hurt me, it's much easier to love you because I know it's not a hurt unto death, right? And I know that the Lord still loves you and still loves me, and what he wants from us both is to work it out because someday, and this is good for you people who are in the church to remember about other people who are in the church, you're all going to be in heaven together. And I'm not just talking about people here. I'm talking about people in all kinds of other churches. And Christians who you really don't like very much right now are going to be there and you're all going to have something to confess in me too, right? Because we're all going to be one community restored. So the trick is to have a little bit of that right now, which then makes you very different from everybody else, right? Because Darlene, on a normal day, in a normal Wheaton place, you frankly wouldn't have Carol at your table. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew just a little bit more about but no, but you know you take my point at least. Is this is how you take my point, I hope. Go ahead. Jesus has been putting in me and Jesus has been putting in you. You know, those two terms happen together. 
That's right. Yeah, I cut I cut now and off mid paragraph, but listen listen to the rest of this. Their communion with Jesus was indeed the beginning of community, yeah. But it's only the beginning, and then I think this is what you were saying. They need to meet each other. They need to meet the others who also believe that he was risen, who also saw him or heard that he was alive, tangibly so. Okay? They needed to listen to their stories, each one different from the others. And then this is, I think, what you're saying and to discover the many ways in which Jesus and his spirit work among his people. Yeah, right? So Jesus and me talks to Jesus and you is a great way of putting it. I think that's right. And then individual, and then the best thing about community, if you have a community, you can be individuals. But if you're individuals, it doesn't necessarily mean you be a community. So here's the thing. In community then, well, the most fun thing is for one for me to recognize that it's the Jesus and me talking to the Jesus and you. But more fun still then, is that how that Jesus in you uses you in a particular way that he could never possibly use me because he makes you an individual person. And what the church or the community is meant to do is enliven that in each person. So you need to be precisely the person that Jesus would have you be in this place. And we all need to be respectful of that and trusting of that because it's within the bounds of who the Lord created you to be, right? Yeah. And that then, you see, then you have this brilliant thing where people can be most themselves when they're most in community, right? So, this is the, so the Eucharist is the thing that makes you most who you are, but not with this false dichotomy of most who you are absent everybody else, but it's most who you are present in the midst of everybody else, right? Which is why the church can love crazy people and sinner people. And Yes, we lo- and we love you for your particular brand of craziness. And then I see you're all the way back to why Darlene lets you sit at her table. It's not, there's a ton of crazy people she could have had at her table, but you're the one, right? <laughs> That's right. Right, that's right. Did she get the study of the Bible bit in there? I thought we were just going to <laughs> nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. It corrupts. I think of the community as keeping me from doing the best 
bad things I might be inclined to do. Or keeping you from thinking that your weaknesses are actually your strengths. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, or that your weaknesses would also do you in, make you unlovable, unthinkable, un, un, uncommunityable, right? No, but it, just for a minute. Uh, yeah, but see, otherwise, you think, well, then, then you think about yourself, well, I don't belong. But it would be nice if people could view you like say, oh yeah, she's, I don't know, loud and obnoxious, but um, she is so good with fill in the blank, or whatever, where you start to see the people in your community right. for the good things, and I don't know. But now, but what do we, but, but, but perfect, what do we do instead? Who's talking, who was that? Who won't go? Yeah, just go, go, that's all right. <laughs> you're right, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And then there's somebody else who's obnoxious, and you're just going to walk away. Right. But see, and see, the thing is, is if we... Yes. So, uh, so what we need to do is develop the ability to, rather than, we need to develop the, the you know, we need to develop the ability to sort of, discount or ignore or endure other people's weaknesses, right? Instead of letting that define who they are, right? And then we want to celebrate their strengths together. We do the opposite. We let people's weaknesses... How do you think about people? When you think about somebody, think about... I mean, let's just practice. Think about somebody you, you dearly love. Just think of one person. Think of whom you love most or think of one person you love. If I ask you why you love them, what would you say? Don't tell me who it is, but what would you say? Why do you love them? They love me. They love me. <laughs> right. They tell me that I'm loved. That's okay, because I'm hard to love. So if you can find somebody who can love me, wow, that's an asset in you. That's a divine gift, right? Mm -hmm. So they love me. What else? They listen to me. They care for me. They engage me. Mm -hmm. They give me grandchildren. Yeah, right? They're funny. They make, 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 make me laugh. <laughs> they listen to me. They accept me the way I am. Okay. Now think of, so so now think of somebody you don't you you don't like. Okay? Well, we don't really need to rehearse why you don't like them. <laughs> but just think about somebody you don't like. Now, let me just suggest to you in the first case, the people you the person you think about who you really love, they do have weaknesses, but you let their strengths overwhelm that, right? But this is part of the trick of being married. It really is. Part of the trick of being married is to allow Really, it, it really is to rejoice in the gifts that your spouse has and to, you know, ignore a discount or move on when you come to one of the rougher spots. Isn't that true? Right? And in friendship, it's the same, is it not? You know, in your friends whom you love dearly, you celebrate what they've got and the rest you kind of ignore. Didn't your parents tell you this when you were young? I can't see why you're hanging around with, did you ever, did you have a friend like that? And you're like, wow, I don't see that at all because here's what I see. But what do we often do? We often let the opposite thing happen. We let the weaknesses completely overwhelm whatever good, especially when they come across as being kind of public, loud or obnoxious or critical, you know. And what if the community could even take the next step and one of you could say to somebody, instead of just ignoring somebody who, who's, who then gets outcast, because that's what happened. Isn't that what happens? People get pushed outside the group. Wouldn't it be interesting if one of you could, in a kind, easy, gentle way, say, 
you know, you've got a lot going for you, but this is getting in the way. Or why don't you come be with us and you can plan in advance with your pals. We'll just sort of endure this and see if we can tone it down. Or wouldn't it be interesting, and I'll just get it in a sentence, if you could concentrate on finding the good in people rather than the ill. Wouldn't that be an interesting community? It takes a lot of maturity. It takes Sorry, a ton of maturity. Right. And so and now I'll just I'll ask and answer the question because it's getting late, but where do you where do you get that sort of maturity? Now the answer is back at the altar. Right? Because I look at you and I say, you know, you just bug the heck out of me when you do this, but I know you belong to Christ and I know he's in there and he's busy and I know it's only going to get better for you. Let me go one, two, three, okay? Go ahead. Absolutely. The problem is, is and, and that one, it takes the courage to be able to tell them to do something wrong. Two, it's the ability to speak so people can hear. You have a husband, he's a nice man. He's probably done one thing wrong or maybe two. Now, <laughs> a couple, okay, good. But you've been married a while, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, every couple of years, people, oh, yeah. But the thing is, is, as you know, I mean, we all know this, if we get enough rest and can come to it bright-eyed, there's a way of telling your husband in a way that he'll be accepting of that, and there's a way of telling him that he's not accepting of it. We're very good at the latter, because frank frankly, cattiness is fun. And, um, you know, we're not so, yeah, and we're perfect. Yes, we're perfect, by the way. We forgot to mention that as a pre. So we're perfect, and cattiness is fun. So we got that going for us, which is why we talk about people rather than to them, right? As opposed to Jesus who says, go directly to somebody alone. I mean, this is the most basic principle in Christian relationships, and it is the most ignored thing in the church. It's crazy. But if we could learn to do that, go ahead. Really? No kidding. <laughs> Fortunately, we have an empirical confirmation now of what YouTube has proven to us. Right, yes, that, that's right. The cards are stacked against us, even in the church, right? But see, I mean, it's, the, the deck is stacked. So, but, the, but the thing is, we do have the ability to get through that if we want. At the bottom, the church is about this. The church is about building a community where people can find a place where they're loved even as they struggle and even as they get better, and even sometimes when they get worse, right? So what we do is with people, we don't encourage them to get worse, but we stand by them, and we, we, we love it when they get better. And for most people, it's some struggle in the middle. There's very few people who aren't struggling with something in their life. I come down to the joy group. There's two couples in the joy group. I think there's just one right now. And I believe them, although I considered them liars for some time. <clears throat> but they said, I can't help it. You know, you, they lie in the joy group. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple in the joy group who said, we've never had a fight. They've been married 52 years. See, so, okay, liar, defined fight. They live in separate rooms. You all are just like me. Although, having watched them now, you know, they probably told me that two years ago, having watched them now, I think I might believe them. 
I think that they might have found the right, they might be wired in the right, I mean, but now you have to remember there are 88 people in Joy Group this week or something, so there's only one couple, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like this. I kind of believe that, but most people are not wired that way. Most people are in the struggle. And if we could just learn to embrace the struggle rather than flee it, and when we flee it, not talk about it, we could embrace the struggle and talk about it instead of fleeing and talking about it with somebody else. This is just such basic stuff. But it is hard, and it does take maturity. But we'd be so much better. This is what we want down deep. This is what we want. We want to be in relationship with each other. We want to be in relationship with Christ. We want to be in relationship with each other because of Christ. This is what we want. Carla, last thing you were going to say. Did you have one more thing? We held you back there for so long. Yeah, you'd be wary of anybody who would fracture things. When people begin the conversation that will, in a way that will divide, you want to be extraordinarily wary of that. The church knows about division. It's called excommunication. It happens very rarely. There's a reason for that. So normally, what we're trying to do, yeah, because we are wired for original sin and we are all struggling, the struggles can go bad. And if you lose hope about what the end game is, it's very difficult to carry on. And sometimes you don't see in a whole lifetime what you're doing, and yet you remember who you are and you do what the Lord has given you to do. And faith means that you do it even though you don't see it, right? So, in, and, and if you could all just sort of, you know, there's 20 or 30 of you here, if you all could just, you can imagine what a difference it would make if all of you could. And I, too, you know, mind your tongue and ask yourself, there's only two kinds of word in the world. There's only two kinds of words. There are words that help and words that hurt. There's only two kinds of actions. There are words that help or actions. There's, there's actions that help and actions that hurt. If you could just in if you could begin with a sense of community and then tend, mind, what happens and ask yourself, does this word mean to hurt or does this word mean to help? Is this a word that means to divide or is it a word that means to reconcile? Will this word strengthen the community? Or will this, will, will this word fracture the community? If you begin to ask those questions with the confidence that you only will flourish as an individual in community, and it's worth it, and it's what Christ builds and gives, your life together will be a very different thing. Your church life will be. Everybody in the world can tell stories about churches that blow up, right? You can. I can. Everybody can. Everybody's been in churches that blow up. Most churches do blow up because they don't understand this basic sort of thing. And they don't understand, what? Yeah, well, you know, bit by bit, uh, bit by bit. All right, anything else? Why don't you, um, the thing that we haven't talked about, and, and I thought it was a striking, um, th the other striking large theme in here was that community entails mission, okay? It has to be mission. You go from, 
you go from brokenness to community to mission. It doesn't stop at community. And we haven't gone, and that's okay because you have to do the community bit. But if you reread this chapter with an eye on the notion of mission, okay, and mission, I think you'll see, will be a broad acts of mercy, words of witness thing. It's one of the fascinating things about this book. I had not read chapter five till last night. Um, I'd read the other chapter several times, uh, but I hadn't read the last chapter. And the sense that I get of this book, um, every, time, every time I get to where I want to go, now and is there waiting for me. It's this crazy, it's the, it was a great gift that you put this, Carla gave me this book. I described to her, I said, this is what I, this is what I think this congregation needs. And then she said, well, then you need to read this book, which I hadn't ever read. And every time I get to, to where, every time, I, every time I get to where I want to go, kind of the next step, he's there waiting. And I find that to be a great joy. I, and I find that to be a very large comfort. Um, and, you know, and I hope you do too. Think that through, because that, that, you know, just gives us some help about where we want to go.